Praise the Lord. Welcome to the official GVPC podcast. My name is Pastor Chris Keats. I am the pastor of Gila Valley Pentecostal Church in Safford, Arizona. We're so glad to have you here listening to this podcast. We pray that it richly blesses you. And God bless you. chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 16. I'm sorry, Brother uh, CJ, if I threw you off there. I must have sent you the, the wrong thing. Thank you to my pops today for helping me change a flat tire. <laughs> Amen. Always there for us. 1 Kings 3.16, then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house. And I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered that this woman was delivered also. And we were together, and there was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And the woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while, while I slept and, and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is your son. And this said, No, but the dead is your son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. And then said the king, Then uh, uh, the one saith, This is this is my son that lives, and your son is dead, and the other says, no, but my son is the dead, and uh, th- your son is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, I've had enough of this. Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to the one, half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. And the king answered and said, Give this one the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Amen. I want to talk to you for... Uh, a little bit tonight, hopefully not too long. I will try to please Azariah <laughs> and get through my message. 
the king is on the move. Amen. The king is on the move. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your wonderful people in this house. Lord, you've come to speak to our hearts, to speak to our minds. And Lord, we open ourselves up to you, God. What thus saith the word of the Lord, my ears are open. They're ready to receive. I want to receive your word with gladness and readiness of heart and mind. In the name of Jesus, speak to my heart, O oh God. In Jesus' name. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Colleen and I were traveling over the summer. We were on the on the East Coast. We were at a church, uh, a small church on a Sunday morning, and I was talking to that church about the rich young ruler and how oftentimes if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in the same position as this young man. Came to Jesus, uh, really did want to know what's it going to take to inherit eternal life. And I believe that's every one of our desires in this place, otherwise we wouldn't be here in the presence of the Lord. He said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus began uh, to talk to him, and he was about to challenge him. But Jesus lists some commands, and he, he doesn't get through them all. The young man says, oh, I, I can almost see the young man cutting them off. Well, I've done all of that already since my youth up. And uh, he, he's, he's happy to tell Jesus what all he's done for him already. But Jesus, it's interesting to note what was on the mind and the heart of Jesus when he gave him the commands and he was listing the commands that were nearest and dearest to his own heart. And interestingly, it had to do with your relationship with your brother. Interestingly, he didn't, he just, he just bypassed, thou shalt have no other God before me. Interestingly, he just went to the commands of how we treat our brother. What is closest to the heart of God is how we treat one another. And I was talking to this church. It was one of those services where it was a deep move of God. You could, you could sense the presence of the Lord was there. God was speaking. He was drawing. He was really trying to get the people's attention. And I gave the altar call. I, in fact, uh, I, I gave him a, a vision that I had had the, the previous year. And I, and I know I've, I've, I've told you all the vision, so I won't uh, go through it in detail, but about the woman with the issue of blood, and that when she came to Jesus, she stretched for the hem of his garment, and the Lord downloaded that vision of her reaching for his garment, and he asked me the question, are you part of the body, or are you part of the sickness inside of the body? Because one of them will die, but the true body will rise to victory, and so I felt, I don't know, I just felt like I needed to tell this church this, gave the altar call, and everybody was standing, and maybe, if, uh, if I'm remembering it right, maybe one or two people came to the front. And so I, I don't know if they heard me or not, so I gave the altar call again. I said, these altars are open, and would you come? Would you respond to the word of the Lord? And again, people just kind of stared blankly at me. Well, I, I asked about... Oh, another two or three times before I, before I knew I, I need to stop asking these people to come to the altar because it will have the opposite effect that I intend. They'll start to leave the building and they won't come. And so I said, it's time to get out of the microphone. Sometimes you just need to be quiet. <laughs> and, uh, but I will be honest with you, sometimes when that happens, when the preacher's preaching and, and nobody's moving and nobody's responding and, and certainly there's no move 
uh, toward the altar. Uh, the preacher scratches his head sometimes because he has pride just like you. <laughs> and, uh, and he starts to think, well, did I miss it, God? Did I say something wrong? Um, did I offend somebody, Lord? I'm sorry. Did I have the wrong message? God, forgive me. And so all these things are going on in my head. And I thought, well, uh, if nobody responds to the altar, I'm just going to go uh, pray because Lord knows this message is for me. And so I hit my knees at the altar. And just about as soon as I hit my knees, the Lord impressed upon me. And he, and he spoke to me immediately. And he said, my, my people, my, my body. And he was uh, speaking to me, I believe, about that particular body. My body's not sick anymore, but my body, there are some in this place who have chosen to die with the sickness. And I, I, uh, when I heard that from the Lord, I, I really lost it at the altar. I don't know that I've ever uh, wept like that. I don't know that I've ever uh, sounded like that as the realization hit me that there are people in the presence of God and the word of God goes forth that just refused to make a move. And I think how, how in the presence of a loving Savior, a merciful God who's calling our name, how could we not respond to the presence of God? It shook me. It really did. It rattled me. And, it, and, and, and so I began to wail there at the altar. You know, Jesus exampled some things to us. And, and, and one of the greatest things that Jesus exampled to us was uh, how to be an intercessor and how to pray for others. Amen. It, it, the greatest call in all of the world that you and I are called to is a call to prayer. It's a call to talk to God. And it's a call to intercessory prayer where we move past what we want and what we need and we get into a place where we start to pray the will of God, the heartbeat of of God, where we begin to pray for one another and we begin to pray for a lost world. The greatest call is that call to not ignore the voice of God when He lays somebody on your heart, but to begin to war in the Holy Ghost. You can, can I tell you, you can easily backslide holding a microphone singing on a praise team. It's nothing to, to, to play a piano and be backslidden in your heart. It's nothing to get up even behind a pulpit and preach the gospel and be so backslidden in your heart and nobody the wiser except God. But can I promise you this? It's impossible to backslide. It is impossible to go to hell when you're breaking through your flesh every single day and you're beginning to war in the Holy Ghost and you're weeping for somebody else. When you begin to weep, for someone else. I'm telling you, you've got the heartbeat of God, and it's impossible to go to hell when you break through your flesh. One of the greatest scriptures in all of the Bible, not just because it's the shortest, although we did love it in Sunday school and in Bible quizzing because we could quote John 11 and 35, which said, Jesus wept. It is one of the most powerful scriptures that we read. Jesus showed up in a graveyard where Lazarus, his one of his really good friends, was sick. He was dead, actually, and Jesus came, the Bible said, four days late. Lazarus was dead, so Jesus wept. Jesus loved him. Jesus didn't want finality for him. Jesus wept for those who, who grieved over Lazarus as well. And if the body of Christ would engage in powerful intercessory weeping and praying for someone else, 
weeping for those unwilling or even perhaps unable to weep for themselves. If the church would stand in the gap for those who do not have a pulse. That's what he's looking for in these last days. Ezekiel 22 and 30 said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But God said, I found none. Therefore, I have poured out mine indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of their uh, of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed on their heads, saith the Lord God. The Lord said, I can't find one person to care enough to stand in the gap and and, and just pray for somebody else, to hold out a hand for somebody else. But Jesus exampled to us that the man, he showed up right there in a graveyard when it was a dire situation, when Lazarus was already in the tomb. He showed up anyway and got in the middle of a mess. Jesus showed up anyway, and he got right in the middle of all of the madness, and he made himself feel what others were feeling in that moment. He didn't allow himself to ignore what others were feeling, but he got right in the middle and began to work. And because Jesus wept in a graveyard, revival was released. I hear the sound of the the voice of the Lord saying, I still am the resurrection and the life, and I can still raise dead things if the body of Christ will be an intercessor and begin to weep. Pastor said it the other day. He said what we need is we need a revival. He said more, I'm not just talking. He said I'm not talking about a harvest yet. I'm talking about a revival. The church needs a revival. Amen. And if we'll begin to stand in the gap and give God an opportunity, he's saying nothing is impossible for me. Finality, what feels final, is not final to me as long as I can find somebody willing to weep. He said it again, Isaiah 59 and 16. He said, I saw there was no man, there was no intercessor. I wondered that there was no intercessor. God was shocked that he couldn't find one person to care. And so Jesus Christ exampled it himself. When God could find nobody, he came to earth. He wrapped himself up in flesh. And Jesus Christ, the name above all names, the God of glory, God in the flesh, said, I'm going to show you how to love your brother. I'm going to show you how to love the lost. But can I tell you, the next time that Jesus comes back, he's not coming back the same way. He's not coming back. He's not going to wrap himself up in flesh and come to this earth. No, the next time Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a bride who's made herself ready. And so he's depending on his church in the meantime to weep. He said, I'm I'm willing to raise the dead to life. There's got to be somebody who's willing to weep. And Jesus wept. I hear God saying to somebody, if you'll show up and weep for that long lost brother, you can do it. If you want to weep for that long lost sister, that spiritually dead sister that you think, man, there's no hope they're ever going to get it. But if you'll show up and if you'll weep. But I hear God asking us the question, is there any hope for the spiritually dead if somebody doesn't care? 
if somebody doesn't weep? What will be the fate of somebody if nobody shows up and cares? Because they're dead. They can't weep for themselves. They can't come back to life on their own. They don't know how. They, you can't pray for yourself and it do any good when you're dead. It's embarrassing how dead you are when you're dead because you're lifeless. You're on zero. You've got no power. Jesus desires to come in a graveyard and raise somebody up, but he's looking for somebody who will care. John eleven thirty nine. 39, he said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he's been there four days. I want you to notice it, that it was a believer who objected to Jesus and what he was about to do. There was distrust in Martha's voice as she said, Jesus, I don't want you disturbing dead things. Uh, this situation doesn't need to be uh, messed with. Uh, Lazarus is dead. Don't disturb him. I wonder how many believers are okay with things just left as they are and satisfied with people being dead just as long as you're alive, just as long as everything's going well in your life, just business as usual. Uh, I'm okay with things as they are. Can I, can I tell you things aren't the greatest because, you know, my brother's dead. But how many brothers and sisters just want enough of the presence of Jesus Christ to give them comfort and security and ease? Don't confront death. Don't confront sin, Lord. Uh, things are decent. Don't mess up the status quo. He stinks. It's going to be a mess. Just comfort me while my brother's lying in a grave. But Martha, what you don't understand is you don't know what true joy is yet until your brother comes back to life. Martha, what you don't understand is you don't know comfort yet uh, until your brother comes walking out of that grave. And the Spirit of the Lord saying, where are the weepers, the ones who will stop pitying themselves in their situations and weeping over, over their family and, and their own needs, but who will start weeping for somebody else? Does anybody feel the call to care? Hallelujah. You know, all throughout this passage in John chapter 11, as we can read the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, great friends of Jesus, and Jesus begins to tell his disciples, it's time to go work, it's time, it's time now, and it, 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 Lazarus was already dead, but uh, he said, now it's time to go, and it, it's interesting, you can read this story, I can find all throughout this story that Mary Mary wept, and, and there were those who came to sit with Mary who were weeping with her and grieving with her, but, and Jesus showed up and he wept, but, but I don't see anywhere in the story where Martha wept. Now, I'm not saying that Martha didn't care for her brother, but something's got to hit us in the heart where we begin to stand in the gap and stop worrying about how things are going to look when things get a little messed up, when somebody comes back to life, uh, just leave them laying there. But God's asking who's going to be the bridge. Uh, because he said, Psalm 126, 5 and 6, that they that sow in tears uh, shall reap in joy. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's going to be a harvest of joy. It doesn't end with weeping. Uh, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, uh, bringing his sheaves with him. Uh, oh, you're not going to weep forever. Uh, but if you're willing to weep, uh, you're going to be a reaper. If you're willing to weep, you're going to see some Jesus' name. But only if you're willing to weep. The 
other half of what God told me at that altar as I began to weep and wail. Immediately, I, didn't, I felt like I didn't have a choice. I was weeping for people who couldn't weep for themselves. The other half of what God told me was, he said, if you're willing to weep, I'm willing to listen. He said, but if you're not willing to weep, he said, I'll honor that too. I felt at that point I didn't have a choice. What, what else was I going to do? And, but I, I'll be honest with you that the next couple of days, even, well, even in that service, at the end of that service, in the next couple of days, the next several weeks, I was just frustrated. I was, was really aggravated. In fact, I would allow myself to feel mixed emotions. I would grieve, but then I would be so angry. How in the world can somebody, can, can somebody deny the power and the presence of God that's willing to step into your graveyard? If you need more mercy than Jesus Christ calling you from the grave, if you need more love than Jesus Christ not even willing to let you stay dead when you're cut off, <laughs> I mean, is there any hope? And I, I, would, I would find myself upset and and other times I'd find myself a little proud, thinking, wow, you know, in that service of maybe 40 or 50 people, and most people didn't move toward the altar. I guess I, guess I was like Moses to God. I guess I just had to stand in the gap. I guess I was just a man of God, and those people needed me if I wasn't there. <laughs> As I was driving down the road one day, wasn't thinking about it, it was a couple of months later. Just me and my wife in the car in the silence. Well, I don't know. She, she, she wasn't in silence. She had her ears in or something, her AirPods. But I wasn't paying attention to anything, and the Lord dropped it in my spirit. He said, look, I was checking your heart, too. He said, because if you're unwilling to weep for those I'm not done with yet, that would show your own spiritually wicked and cut off heart. If you don't have time for those that I've got time for, I still have time for Lazarus. I still have time for people you think there is no hope for these people. Cut them off, God. In fact, they should know better. I'm not weeping for these people. Forget about these people. Forget them. God, let's go get some new people. Let's go find some drug addicts. Let's, let's go find some people on the street who are strung out, who don't know you at all, who have never heard the love of God, don't know the name of Jesus at all. Forget about these people who should know better. Let's go get some new ones. But God said, I was checking your heart because if you're, not, if you're just done with the people I'm not done with yet, oh, God, that would show your own wickedness. Someone needs to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. I'm not done yet. The king isn't finished yet. The king is moving still. The king is on the move. Matthew 13 and 44, Jesus tells a parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man has found, he hides it, and for the joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. short parable that Jesus tells and every time I ran across that I, I it just it stumped me what is this man doing he uncovers a treasure in the field nobody's around why don't you just pick the treasure up and take it with you but the Bible says no he went and sold everything that he had he buried it back went and sold everything he had and bought what not the treasure the field the man had an understanding 
that this treasure didn't just appear from thin air. This treasure was buried here by somebody who, who thought this place is valuable enough to hide something right here. Someone must have thought to, that I'm going to hide what's most valuable. And maybe this field looks worthless to other people passing by. And maybe others don't have time for the field. They don't see the value in the ground and they ignore it. But this man understands if it's not for the stubborn field, I don't have treasure. And he sold everything and did not buy the treasure. He bought the field because the treasure is not for sale alone. It has to come with the field. If you're not willing to purchase the field, you don't just get the treasure. You can't just pick, pick up the treasure and carry it with you. God is hidden right in the field among the people. You cannot get the fullness of God if you don't care about his people. You cannot love God if you do not love his people. The field, he bought the field, and before you can have eternal life, and before you can experience all that God has in store for you, you must completely invest in the field. The field's going to be stubborn. It's going to be hard to handle, difficult to work with. It's going to make you sweat. It's going to make you bleed. It's going to make you angry, and it should make you cry. But if you are willing to become one with the field, then you will be one with the treasure. We will experience the fullness of God when others can experience the fullness of us. If I'm not willing to give all for my brother or my sister, even those who I deem unworthy, if I'm not willing to sell out uh, for somebody uh, who, I, who I think, man, they should know. But if I'm not willing to do that, I don't get the treasure. God, have mercy. There will be insiders who lose out with God. Jesus said it in Matthew 24 and somewhere around verse 36 uh, that those in the very last days will fall to offense. Uh, they're going to be offended. They're going to walk away right before he comes back. Not so much those who have walked out because of church hurt, but rather those maybe perhaps who have stayed in the Father's house but have done nothing with the Father's goods. Those in the harvest field, Jesus, as he begins to open my eyes to parable after parable that he tells, trying to get the church's attention. Those harvest workers were dissatisfied with their payment. They had worked all day in the heat of the day, and there were those who came at the very last hour. In the very last hour, those workers got paid first, and so those who were looking on, who had worked all day in the heat of the day, said, man, payday's coming. I can't wait. But when the master handed them their wage, it was the same. <laughs> and they were offended at the master. You think that guy is what I'm worth? I've been doing things right. That guy's been slacking off. That guy's been showing up when he wants to. That guy's been playing games in church. That guy's come to church and he hasn't grown in forever. You're, you're going to pay that guy offense. And it's going to be those who have given their life to Jesus, who have worked in his field, who in the very last minute are offended. Don't I deserve more? <laughs> it's the older brother syndrome who 
when the real uh, when when the prodigal comes home, we see who the real prodigal was. After all, it was the one who stayed in the father's house. And he begins to open up his mouth and accuse his father. And he said, I've been here for years in your presence. I never walked out the church doors. I never squandered anything with harlots. I've been here. And he's got quite a testimony, if you will. Other people don't deserve what I've worked for, especially that scumbag who left and came back. And he's pouting that he doesn't get the same treatment. I'm not going to go in and party. he's, he's, He's pouting that he doesn't get the same treatment as a dead brother who's come back to life. Because the father said it in Luke 15, 27, my son was dead and now is alive. He was lost and now is found. And when you don't want to give your brother mercy because you assume he doesn't deserve it, then you're in control. And if you're in control, you're about to be offended. I don't know the end of this man's story. Hopefully that older son repented and walked back in the house. But if the story ends where Jesus ended it, the prodigal was saved and the older brother was lost. We squander everything when we keep the father's goods to ourselves. We don't know how to value it. And if we're not willing that God gives our brother what we think our brother does not deserve, we risk becoming and staying offended. The big brother attitude says, forget that dude who should know better. That's what the big brother attitude says. Celebrate me, Father, because I've stayed faithful doing all the right things. But you can do all the right things the wrong way. And what you don't realize, or maybe what you failed to forget, older brother, is mercy found you too. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing the right things in the Father's house. Mercy still found you undeserving. Don't forget your real testimony, older brother, that the Father loves you too. And he's shown you great mercy too. No matter how long you've been in the house. Oh God, I've got to move quickly. The rich young ruler wasn't willing to trade his lifestyle that he had come to know and enjoy. He wasn't willing. I believe the Lord opened up my eyes and revealed to me he's willing to do anything for me. But he's not willing to do everything for his brother. Oh, Jesus, the commands, oh, yeah, I got all that. No problem. I've served you. No problem at all. Jesus is about to challenge him. Go sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Come and follow me. What are you talking about? See, the the problem isn't here. Man, if it was just me and God, and I didn't have to deal with people, it'd be a breeze. I'd be saved if it wasn't for all of you. I'd already be there. You feel that way too sometimes, don't you? It'd be real easy, just live for God, just me and God, got our own little thing going on. But I'm sorry, you can't have the treasure if you're not willing to invest in the field. Rich young ruler, he met his match and he said, you know what, I've worked for this all my life. Go sell everything, I give it to the poor, the undeserving, the wretch. No, 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 I, I know all about this thing. I grew up in this. I, 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 
I worked for this. I dug this out in prayer myself. I dug this out in fasting myself. I, I, I know how to serve God for myself. There's no way I'm giving this to somebody else who does not deserve it. See, the problem wasn't here. The problem was here. And isn't that always the problem? That's why sometimes, uh, sometimes we're conviction-style preaching junkies. We say, man, wow me, Pastor. Give me something, man. Show me something in my wicked heart, God. Reveal to me some black hidden sin in there, God. And we pray and snot and cry tears all day. And God is saying, hello, I'm so bored with this. You should be bored with this. The problem isn't here. You, you, you don't have any problem with your house. Your house is spick and span. You've been dusting the same thing every hour, dusting it, make sure it's clean. He said the problem's not the house, the problem's the field. The problem is the house is great. The problem is you're not willing to invest in the field and get dirty. Fields cost you too much. And, and brothers and sisters who should know better cost you too much. You're not willing to do that. You're not willing to get dirty. You, you, you don't want to take on my likeness. You're not willing uh, the hour before you die uh, to stoop down and wash something. You're not willing to do that. Oh, God. Oh, God. Stop sobbing at an altar and asking me to reveal something to you. I'm telling you the only problem is that you've got to put your hands to the plow alongside your brother and sister and get to work for me. And in a practical sense, when we don't have time for people, be they brother and sister, or be they lost people, we're essentially saying the same thing. The field isn't worth my time. Why can't I keep everything I've accumulated and follow you, Jesus? And Jesus says, it's not the way it works. Jesus said, freely you've received. Now, freely give. It's not our power and authority anyway. It's not our love anyway. It's not our forgiveness anyway. It's not our mercy anyway. Now, Holy Ghost, flow through me right now. Come on, if I'm going to be anything that God's called me to be, I can't do it on yesterday's service to God. I, I can't hang up a list of everything I did. Look what look what I gave up to come into church, and look what I was filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and look what I did for you yesterday. Forget about that. The king's moving. He's already moved on. Uh, you better get moving with the king. Uh, God's not looking about what you did yesterday. God wants to know, are you investing in the field today? Do you care today? Are you willing to weep today? yourself but somebody else are you willing to give freely of yourself today if you're not you're in danger of becoming and staying offended and can I tell you there's a sin deadlier than pornography can I tell you there's a sin deadlier than alcohol or drugs and an immoral lifestyle can I tell you it's a sin of doing nothing with what God's given you can I tell you it's the deadliest sin? It's the sin of omission. It's when you do what you want to with what God has given you, and that makes you Lord, and you're in control. But I believe I'm preaching to a people today that said, I don't want to fail you, God. And I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying, you're not going to fail me. Do something for me. Put your hands to work in the kingdom of God. Come on, hold up your brother when they're falling down. Pick up your sister when they, when they don't have it all together. And the most deadly thing that you can do is to sit like a fat cat in the father's house like the older brother and said, man, I've just been serving you all my life. Forget about those low lives that should know better. But God is checking the pulse 
of every heart in this building. God wants to know, how much do you love me? Don't tell me you love me if you can't love somebody else. Don't tell me you love me. Just words. Just like you going to your mom and dad and trying to suck up to them when you're little, when you know you got in an argument with your brother or sister, and your mom and dad said, no, take that out of here and go get it right first. That's what God's saying. I take that gift out of here. Take that worship out of here. Take that I love you Jesus out of here. Take that sacrifice. You might as well put that money back in your pocket if you're not willing to love your brother, if you're not willing to weep over your sister. You might as well take it home with you. Get that out of here. I can't mess with it because the king is on the move. Uh, Honey, God's looking for a revival church in this hour, and GVPC is the revival church. Uh, My God, God, God's not going to pass us by. I'm telling you, every one of us is going to get on board, uh, and we're going to get on board with the Father's heart, and we're going to do what God says. Lift up your hands if you want what God wants. Lift up your hands if you want to be where God wants you to be. Whatever it is, God, shake me, stir me, uh, challenge me, whatever it takes, God. I don't want to use your stuff for self-gain. Oh, God. I'm wrapping up. I'm almost done. The baby is in grave danger. Really, the baby is just as good as dead. King Solomon gives orders. Bring me a sword. I'm tired of the back and forth. I'm tired of the arguing. We're about to settle this this dispute between these two mothers who can't prove anything. You're not proving nothing to me. We don't have any DNA tests available. There's no proof of ownership here. It's just one versus another, just one woman's word versus another. And both women claim that the child is their own, uh, that the living child is their own. And the other's a liar. But the baby is the one suffering the consequences of this dispute. And if Mama Church is going to sit around and argue with the culture all day long, if Mama Church is going to sit around the, the, the dinner table and argue about what's going on in our government and what's going wrong with this, with this godless society and these people that don't have a shepherd. If Mama Church is going to sit around and talk even about one another, that child's headed straight for hell. Whether you win in the argument or whether you lose in the argument, doesn't matter. Either way, the baby's the one that's really losing. The baby's the one that's suffering. The baby's the one that's going to die while there's a spit and a spat going on. But if somehow mama can get a clue how to fight, how to really begin to war and not war with carnal weapons, but to pick up a sword of the spirit and begin to war with tears. Oh, God, if you really want to move the heart of the king who holds the power of life and death in his hands, you're going to have to prove that you're fit to be that baby's mother. When mama begins to cry out, spare my child, save my child's life. Whatever you have to do, I don't care, but don't let that baby die. The Spirit of the Lord is asking a question to all of us tonight. Mom, do you love to argue about trivial things, Mom? Or do you love your child? Mom, do you like to win arguments? Or do you like to save children? Mom, what do you like to do? My God, is that all you're going to do is sit around and talk about how crazy everybody else is? Mom, I'm trying to get your attention. Mom, are you finally going to do something about the situation? 
God's looking for a, for a church, my God, who's willing to rise up. You're asking, God, what can I do? It feels hopeless. Are you kidding me? Do you know what kind of power you wield? Mom, do you understand what kind of authority you have? Do you understand how you can tug on the heartstrings of the king, Mom? When you begin to cry out in desperation, death can't have them. Or, Mom, if you want to, you can sit around and argue all day until you're right. And you can argue within, even within yourself, Mom, you can argue. And you can create scenarios in your, in your head and ways to convince. How am I going to convince the king that I'm right? That's all right, Mom. Time's ticking on that baby. If you're the mom of that baby, you're going to prove it, Mom. And you're going to start acting like a mom. And you're going to begin to get in the middle. And you're going to begin to weep. No matter what it costs you, mom. It's going to be a sacrifice, mom. It's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, mom. But if you really care about that baby like you say you do, mom, you're going to do something about it. And there's a world that's hanging in the balance. And the church cannot be quarreling. And the church cannot be at odds. But the church has to be in one mind and one accord. And the church has to be in unison. I'm going to cry out for the life. For the life. No, don't take that child. Until there's a resolve inside mama. To begin to war with brokenness. I said brokenness. Some of you hadn't cried in a long time. Some of you have not found an altar in a long time, but you found every other excuse not to cry. You said, you've given God your resume. That's what the devil does. Look who, look who I was. And that's all you can show is yesterday. Some of you hadn't cried in a long time. And you said, well, yesterday worked. No, yesterday don't work, Mom. God wants to know, are you crying today? The king's on the move. The king's calling for judgment right now. He's saying, forget about this quarreling, this bickering. I'm about to cut this baby in half. The king is about to split the eastern sky. The king's about to come back with judgment. He's getting up off that throne. I can see him right now. He's tired of the quarreling and the arguing. He said, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. But I need to know, is there a mom that's willing to cry? Because there's a baby that's headed for eternity. Would you stand with me? The king's on the move. He's going to move one way or another. And you, you have the opportunity. And I have the opportunity to tug on the heartstring of the king. Oh, the widow of Nain. She lost her son. He was a good son. You can come, Joel, if you want to help me. Good son, evidenced by the whole town in the funeral procession, mourning this good man's death who took care of his widow mother. It's a shame that he's gone too soon. That son shouldn't have died. Too much life yet to be lived. What a tragedy. And the king's walking down the road. King's looking to see if anybody's moved through the heart of compassion. And mama's crying. Mama's weeping over her son who's gone too soon. Mama, Jesus sees you weeping. And he's not done. That king is about to raise that dead boy. I'm telling you, God wants to do the impossible.
what you feel like is just insurmountable. You can't do it. You've tried it. God wants to do the impossible. I want you to know the end of John chapter 11. After Lazarus rose up from the grave, it said, then many of the Jews believed on him. Notice when Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave, there it was. It wasn't just Lazarus. There wasn't just revival in a graveyard. You know what happened in a graveyard too? Harvest followed revival. And many of the Jews, which didn't know him, didn't believe on him before, they came to know him. If we want harvest like we say we do, and I believe we do, we're going to get it first things first with revival. Hallelujah. Who wants revival? Who wants revival? Lift up those hands right now. The king is on the move. He's moving one way or another. And it's in my hands. Which way am I going to move the heart of the king? Oh, God, which way am I going to move the heart of the king? Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. That's my mentality. That's my made-up mind. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it takes. It's worth it. It's worth the cost. Oh, it's worth the cost. I want eternal life, and I want to link hand in hand, arm in arm with my brother, with my sister. I want to go there. I'm not going alone. I don't get the treasure alone. I got to come. I got to come into eternal life with people. On my right and on my left, holding hands, walking into the kingdom of God. Thank God for the church. Oh, God, thank God for the church. Purify your church right now. Sanctify your church with every hand lifted, every eye closed. If the Lord's drawing you to weep, ma'am, go ahead and weep. If God's on your heart, sir, if he's tugging on you to weep, why don't you go ahead and weep? Well, come on. Everything else is trivial right now, but the baby hangs in the balance. My God, my God, he's looking for a weeper. Is there a weeper? See, these altars are open. Ah, these altars are open. I know, I know I'm talking to some people who know how to weep. I know I'm talking to some people who know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Lean into that. Lean into it. Don't run from the pain. Feel the pain. Go ahead. 